The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 230 of The Real Food Reel, we are joined by Dr. David G. Harper, Associate Professor of Kinesiology at the University of the Fraser Valley and a visiting scientist at the BC Cancer Research Centre, Terry Fox Laboratory. In today's episode, David and I explore a standard ketogenic diet in comparison to a standard Western diet and his latest project, BioDiet. You will learn the therapeutic benefits of ketosis and how this relates to brain health, cognitive function, and the prevention of Alzheimer's disease, otherwise known as type 3 diabetes, a disease triggered by insulin resistance in the brain. This is an incredible episode that really shows us the longer-term negative impact of excess carbohydrate in the diet. Hi, Dave, and welcome to the show. Great to be here, Steph. Very excited for our discussion today. As it's your first time on The Real Food Reel, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of background information and what you're up to these days. Uh, well, I'm, um, <laughs> what I'm up to is on a book tour. Uh, we've just launched our book, uh, BioDiet, my wife and I, Dale Drury. She's my co-author, and we launched about a month ago. So, in fact, we just returned from a cross-country tour here in our home country of Canada. We live in Vancouver. So we went coast-to-coast coast doing a lot of um, television, and uh, it's been very successful. We're having great success with the book here, and hopefully we can help people understand the uh, benefits of a uh, ketogenic diet in terms of treating chronic disease. And I'm also, uh, I'm, a, I'm a visiting scientist world's leading cancer research centers. I work in the Terry Fox lab and uh, we're, we're working with uh, Jeff Bolick's lab at the Ohio State University on a three-year study to investigate the therapeutic benefits of, of ketogenic diets for women with metastatic breast cancer. 
Wow, fantastic. So obviously so much that we can explore together today, but just to set the scene for the benefit of everyone listening, can you break down what a ketogenic diet is? Sure. Well, you know, in short, in a ketogenic diet, as compared to the standard Western diet, which is what most people are eating, the standard Western diet is a very uh, high-carbohydrate, low-fat diet, and and a ketogenic diet is a special variety of uh, low-carb, high-fat diet where you actually lower the carbohydrate uh, to a point where your body um, produces its own blood glucose and uh, using fats and and um, proteins as fuels, and in doing so, it it, it produces a byproduct called ketones, um, uh, which it turns out are very beneficial for many reasons, and and that's what we're investigating is how these ketones affect chronic disease like cancer, cardiovascular disease, uh, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. Yeah, impressive, and it's such a fascinating area of research for. Myself, I think it's so good to see that we're finally getting some really great studies coming out of that. Um, and you mentioned Jeff Folek. So he's obviously been a pioneer in this space for decades now. Can you tell us just a little bit more about um, yeah, what you guys are doing together? Yeah, well, Jeff, I know your, your background is more in exercise physiology as well. As, mm-hmm. At least that's how you came to nutrition. And, and uh, I'm also a kinesiologist, so I have a sort of similar bent and you know, we're familiar with Jeff's work with endurance athletes in particular and, and other athletes. And we actually met each other at a, a global conference on uh, the therapeutic benefits of ketogenic diets in Banff uh, a couple of years ago. And, um, and we uh, decided to team up our lab at uh, the cancer agency does what we call immunohistochemistry. So we look at how white blood cells in the uh, innate immune system are talking to each other during uh, um, cancer. How essentially how our body rids itself from cancer in, in a natural way, um, and uh, and Jeff was just uh, looking at that area as well. My my experience has been in counseling people on ketogenic diets, um, so we were a, we were a natural team, and uh, and we're really excited about this. We're only about halfway through, and the results are very preliminary, but very promising at this point. Yeah, great. I'm sure you can share with us um, in the future when you when you have some more information. Obviously, when mm-hmm. you're closer to to, I guess, uncovering the um, conclusions. But yeah, let's take a step back to talk more about ketogenic diets. I actually want to hear your personal experience and, and how you first uncovered the, the benefits firsthand. Yeah, it was, it was kind of an interesting story, stuff because I was doing um, a radio show here in Vancouver on our uh, public radio called Think for Yourself. It was a show about um, uh, critical reasoning and healthy skepticism. And we had an episode on what was better to lose weight. Is it better to um, lose weight by exercising or, or through diet? And, uh, and I, uh, I took on the role of the, uh, the, the diet side because of, um, sorry, the exercise side because being a kinesiology prof, and we had a, a guest on named Dr. Richard Mathias from UBC School of Public Health uh, and he'd studied uh, indigenous uh, diets here in North America. And, of course, the indigenous diet here, especially in the north, is, is, is very highly uh, based on fat, uh, saturated fats from animals, uh, very, very little carbohydrates, so effectively a ketogenic diet. And, um, and so we started on the show, he asked me, well, Dave, what do you think causes, um, causes obesity? 
And I, and I, you know, I was just towing the, what we call the party line at the time, uh, which, which is, you know, it's a very complex multifactorial condition caused by genetic factors and metabolic factors and psychosocial factors. And he sort of politely waited till I finished. And, and then he just said, David, it's much simpler than that. It's, it's your body's adaptation to excess carbohydrate in the diet. And, and I, uh, Steph, I was just floored when he said that. I, I was, in fact, they call it dead air on radio. I just went <laughs> quiet because I, I had to think about that for a second. You have to understand, I taught anatomy, physiology, and pathology for more than 30 years. And, and, and what he said made such perfect sense. But I thought it couldn't be that simpler. We would have figured it out by now. So, so I, I, um, it was a, it, I mean, he really took me down the rabbit hole there. And I spent about two years looking at all of the primary research that, that was um, underpinning the standard Western diet. And what I found was, was actually, as I'm sure you know, Steph, very little. There's, there's very, very little robust evidence to suggest that saturated fats have any negative health consequences at, at all. Um, in fact, some of the dairy uh, saturated fats may be cardioprotective. Uh, on the contrary, it, it did appear that, in fact, the... Um, the root of chronic disease seemed to be an overconsumption of, of, uh, of carbohydrate, especially sugar and, and high glycemic index uh, carbohydrates like starches. So, um, so I had to, you know, I had to apologize for my students. It's in our book. I said, I'm sorry, <laughs> I told you the wrong things for 30 years, and I and I have to take a mea culpa on that. And uh, and and then I turned my research uh, to look at ketogenic diets uh, with exercise and. Um, by the way, in the end, that, that conversation, it's, it's, as you know, it's like an 80-20 rule. About 80% of, of uh, weight and weight control is to do with diet and only about 20% with exercise. So, so uh, one of the phrases I'm sure you're familiar with, that, uh, yeah. Steph, is that you, you can't outrun your fork. You know, if you don't have a good <laughs> diet, it, it doesn't matter how much you exercise. So, so that was the start of it. And then, um, you know, I've been doing uh, studies um, uh, at my own university, the University of the Fraser Valley, and then uh, turned my research to cancer um, by joining up with um, Dr. Jerry Crystal at the uh, Terry Fox Lab at the BC Cancer Research Center. He's been studying low-carb diets and their effects on cancer for, for decades. And um, so it was a great team. And, and then we joined up with Jeff, and, and, uh, and, and it's really been an exciting voyage. It's so fascinating, and your story is not dissimilar to Tim Noakes, how you obviously had that aha moment and unfortunately realized that you'd been educating the wrong message for decades. Now, what I love about both yours and Tim's story is that you're, um, I guess, what's I don't know whether brave is the right word, but you know, able to stand up and apologize and admit that you were wrong rather than just trying to perpetuate the myths of the last five decades. So, you know, I really respect that. You've been able to say, okay, I got it wrong and this is where we're going in the future. So it probably wasn't easy to have that epiphany, but I'm glad you've been able to um, redirect the course of your career. You know, well, th- thanks. And I, thanks for mentioning Dr. Noakes too. I, I, I've met, uh, met Dr. Noakes, he's a lovely guy. And, mm-hmm. and his story is just such a tragic one in the sense that you know the south african government really took a run at him uh but he survived it and um no in my sense you know um i'm a scientist i've been trained as a scientist and i hope trained well and one of the things you must do as a scientist is when uh presented with evidence to the contrary you must reject the present model and accept the new one and and that's just good science so the problem i have is i i when I, I didn't do good science because I never looked for the primary research that underpinned what I was teaching when I was teaching a standard Western diet. 
that's a mistake I shouldn't have made. And, and, and once I have, then, then of course you apologize. <laughs> yeah. But I think a lot of us are guilty of that because our training is so westernized. You know, I look back at my degree and I still remember sitting through certain subjects and just being like, you know, almost unable to bear the content because by that stage in my journey, I'd already been doing a lot of research under the likes of, you know, Jeff Folek and Steve Finney and Tim Noakes and Phil Maffetone and, you know, the, the content that we're being taught to, to one day become practicing nutritionist is, is still Western. It's still food pyramid. It's still big food. So I think a lot of practitioners find that quite challenging because the new science is challenging what we learned for, for decades at a tertiary level. Yeah, and, and then, you know, the question is, well, who are you to tell me different when the government's telling me one thing? And, you know, that, that's actually been a, a problem for researchers. I, I'm, I'm sure it's the same case in, 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 in Australia because here in Canada and in the U.S., we have difficulty getting public funding for, for research, which, of course, is a major source because um, they don't want to fund things that are contrary to what they're telling people to eat. So uh, essentially, we have to get private funding. Our, our, our research is funded by the John and Lottie Heck Foundation, for which we're really grateful. But yeah, you know, and part of one of the things I mentioned in, in the book is that, um, you know, if you look at the number of people that have been heavily vested in the notion that, that you know, high fat diets or saturated fats are bad for us, they've been doing that for decades. And many people have built their whole careers on that and they've counseled people in that direction and so on. So when you're that heavily vested, um, it's, it, it is hard to, to just say, oh, I'm sorry, my whole career, my whole career was, was based on a lie. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't use that term lightly because I think it was Ansel Keys and his, and his cronies that sort of um, that perpetuated that myth for decades. And it, it's now instilled. It's like those memes. It's like the meme that, that um, you know, vaccinations cause all autism. Uh, once they get out there, they're very hard to retract. And so we have, you know, in the Western world, for decades now, we've been told that fats are bad. They've been vilified. And, and um, so it is going to be hard to turn that ship around. But the great news is, um, Steph, that, that, that shows like yours, um, and, and hopefully our book will help the public understand in, in terms that are simple and, and, in, and in ways that are engaging, that, that actually not only is that model wrong, but by accepting the new model, they have now this new opportunity to find optimal health without drugs and other interventions. And that's the really exciting good news, I think. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. So I'd love to hear about the book, BioDiet, and how it's different from other ketogenic diets. Well, that's a really good question too, because I think I don't think most people realize there there's not just one ketogenic diet. We talked about low-carb diets earlier, uh, ketogenic diets are, you, you, you have to lower the carbohydrate load um, fairly significantly, at least until you fat adapt. And once that's happened, you know, it's, it's quite variable as to what people can tolerate. Um, so this comes from my own experience and my own research. Um, there are some new, that, that, I guess the main difference, Steph, is, is there's, a, there's two parts to the book. It's not a long book. It's about 230 pages. And my wife really helped, uh, Dale Drury really helped to, um, to get it to a size and, and, and a flavor that people would, would engage with, I think. It's really um, uh, um, a very easy read, I think, but it explains the science. And that's the key differentiator there is the first half of the book 
uh, about 100 odd pages, explains why we got into the mess that we're in now in terms of these high sugar, high carb diets causing so much chronic disease, and and uh, and then how what how, what ketogenics diets are, and then how they can be used to effectively address um, the root cause of, of this uh, disease burden that we have. Um, so, uh, and then the second half is the, is the how to. So if the first half is the why you would want to consider a ketogenic diet, uh, and as we both know, they're not for everybody. Um, there are some contraindications and then, and then, uh, you know, if you're eating a diet now and you're, and you're slim and healthy, then, you know, go with what you're going with. But if you do have problems, and I think Australia is similar to Canada, about two thirds of people are overweight or obese. And I think in Australia, you have one of the highest um, increases in rates of increase of obesity on the planet right now. It's becoming really quite a problem. So, um, so the, the second half tells you how to safely adopt and sustain a ketogenic diet. So it's the usual, you know, we have a, we have a, a set of measurements we do, we call um, uh, in, in the first part of the book, uh, the first thing you do is to, uh, uh, it's called bioassessment. So you assess your body's um, uh, whatever things you can measure easily, like weight and weight size and you know, height and that sort of thing. And there's a few calculations you can do. There's some that are even a little bit more effective than the you know, BMI, which we don't really use anymore. Um, and then there's a, there's a phase um, called biopreparation where you ease yourself into it, both in terms of your physiology by you know, cutting alcohol and sugar out. Alcohol just temporarily, by the way, for those that aren't concerned. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, cutting sugar out of your diet, uh, increasing water, and, and then adding MCT oil. And I, I think you're a big fan of coconut oil and MCT oil. So yeah. um, it's, I find that very, very useful to get your body used to the extra ketones you're going to be producing. Um, and then there's an adaptation phase where you, uh, you know, that's where you might experience some symptoms of the keto flu. Uh, and, and, um, you know, we talk about the various methods, especially getting the salts right to address that. Um, and, and then the, the, you know, you, you need to commit to this for about 12 weeks. So we call that uh, biorejuvenation because if you look at your biomarkers for most people that respond well to ketogenic diets, you're going to roll your, your, not your chronological age, but your biological age back by about 10 years or so. Um, for most people, it's very interesting there. And, the, and then the last part is just how do you, how do you sustain it and go forward? We call it biocontinuation. So, do you transition to low carb, um, uh, or do you stay with keto? Um, and and we talk about not just um, the, uh, the 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 methods and steps, but the psychology of that. So we talk about how to keep it sustainable, how to address um, you know cravings and that sort of thing, and perhaps. Most important of all in, in the how-to part is to work with your physician, that you should, you should start at, at, at your, your, your um, physician, but also your nutritional counselors, your registered dietitian, whoever's going to be helping you with this. Don't do it alone, but work with your physician, especially if you do have a chronic disease that you're treating with, with a medication, because those medications might have to be, uh, might have to be reduced, almost certainly will have to be reduced at, at some point. Um, and uh, and only, only your physician really is, is qualified to make those decisions. So, so it's, um, I, I think it's a really nice, handy guide for anybody who's just new to ketogenic diets, but I think it also has a lot in there um, all in one place for people that have adopted ketogenic diets and just have those questions that come up from time to time, the sorts of questions that you talk about on your show. Yeah, incredible. I love that. There's so many little questions that I have that have come out of that. Um, one of the things you said early on, um, I'd love you to elaborate on, because I think this is an important part of the conversation you said about um, 
really refining the number of carbohydrates at least until you're fat adapted. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that and talk more about, um, yeah, exactly that, how it might start versus how it might um, adapt? Yeah, well, uh, the, so most of us, because we've been eating a very high carbohydrate diet all our lives, you know, we start our days with the usual, you know, toast and cereal and juice and yogurt and all that stuff loaded with sugar and, and starches. So uh, we start the day high and we, we stay high on carbs. Um, and so most of us haven't had much um, uh, opportunity for, for the fat oxidation, the beta oxidation, we call it, to, to establish itself. And that's, in fact, uh, a more effective, more efficient way of burning fuel. Fats burn more efficiently with less oxidative stress, so you get less uh, damage to the, at the cellular level. Um, and, and so for you know ketogenic diets, you, you do have to, <laughs> I guess we're getting to the magic number of how, you know, how much carbs, and, and it, it really is variable. Some people, we have some athletes uh, that are consuming 150 grams of carbs a day, and they're still staying in ketosis. We, we measure that by blood ketosis, so it's very accurate. Um, for most people, in order to do that transition, you really have to um, reduce your carbohydrates to less than about 20 grams a day, which is which is almost nothing. And, and, and um, most of those carbs are going to come from what you're, you're going to get in the vegetables that you eat. Uh, and maybe if you're eating liver, there's a little uh, glycogen in there. But um, So you need to do that for a period um, anywhere from a, uh, typically a couple of weeks. Uh, now, we have the advantage of seeing how people keto adapt because we can measure their blood ketones regularly. Most people don't have that, so they have to kind of go by their other, other symptoms. But typically people will feel a little bit... Um, uh, sometimes lightheaded dizziness. They can have some digestive issues. They can have some sleep sleep uh, disturbances and so on. But these are these are typically mild and short term, and they can be addressed usually with hydration. Uh, I know you've talked about that quite a bit on a couple of shows. The importance of maintaining hydration throughout the day, um, and then also making sure the salts are right. So these are calcium, mag- magnesium in particular. Uh, but, you know, calcium and sodium and potassium too. So um, if you get the salts right, and our, our book uh, tells you how to do that, and and you um, you give yourself a couple of weeks to do this and, and are willing to accept some mild uh, discomfort that we call the keto flu, what often happens with about half of the people I've counseled is, is um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a moment or a day, usually it's when you wake up, and your and your brain now has started to metabolize ketones uh, in preference to uh, glucose, which it does. We all learned in school. I'm sure you did stuff that your brain only uses glucose. Oh yes, you know, of course. <laughs> your, your brain actually, your brain actually loves uh, the beta hydroxybutyrate, which mm-hmm. is the main ketone being produced. And when it does, uh, you know, I, a lot of the women I work with, um, uh, sorry, the, because they're a cancer patient, breast cancer patients, they tend to be women, um, and they tend to be. Uh, um, postmenopausal as well uh, they'll just say Dave it's like you pulled cotton wool out of my brain like I just woke up one day and my brain was clear like it hasn't been for a decade and uh, that's how I can tell you know that the, that the ketones have been working and that they've, they've now uh, turned on the genes and the enzymatic pathways that allow them to metabolize those ketones and burn them as fuels uh, but also those ketones work as, as very powerful signaling molecules that have all kinds of other benefits throughout the body so um, so the, you know, do you, do you need to be in ketosis all the time? 
Um, it depends what, what your end game is. I mean, again, if you're, if you're, if your weight is controlled and good and you're healthy, then whatever diet you're eating is the right diet for you. But as we say, when treating obese patients, whatever you do, uh, to reduce that excess body weight and get back to a normal body weight, um, you're going to have to keep doing that for the rest of your life. You know, <laughs> so if you're going to exercise your way down there, you're just going to have to exercise the rest of your life, but it's much easier just to change your diet and get those, um, it really, what I really like about what I've heard on your show stuff is the focus on real food mm-hmm. as opposed to these ultra processed foods, because half, half of the American diet, um, the North American diet, which I'm sure is the same in Australia, it is highly processed food. And, and half of that is sugar that's been added to foods. And of course, half of sugar is fructose. And we know fructose is a, is a known hepatotoxin. So, mm-hmm. so if you do the math, you know, one out of every eight calories you're eating is from a, from, from a toxic um, compound that your body has to metabolize. And, and that's just no good. So, get, so, you know, if we wanted to simplify things, get sugar out of your diet. You know, get those highly refined starches and processed foods out of your diet, and and even just there, you'd have you'd have a, a much improved uh, health, and and you start losing weight. But when you do that, you also realize those are all carbohydrates, and we only get you know our calories from the three macros, and you can only increase protein to to a certain point. So if you're if you're if you're getting rid of a lot of carbs, then you have to add healthy fats in there, and healthy fats from real foods. Uh, like you know, avocados and and uh, and say uh, you know macadamia oil, olive oil, coconut oil, um, and then and then whatever animal uh, products if, you, if that's your choice. Um, I know some people aren't. Uh, you know, they're they're vegan or vegetarian. Vegetarians are fine on ketogenic diets. You can do it as a as a vegan, but it, it's it's pretty tricky as a vegan because you probably have to eat a lot of uh, a lot of soy. And and you know, if you're a woman that's trying to get pregnant, it's an estrogen disruptor, so that can be a problem. So. Um, lots of things to consider on a ketogenic diet, and, and there is a there is a, a process to adopting it safely and with the least amount of symptoms. And I hope we've done a good job covering that in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Very important that you do take it step by step. Um, you mentioned biomarkers and um, just a few of the basic ones that you get your audience to track, like weight or waist circumference, but you also mentioned blood ketones. Now, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because what we see in someone that becomes quite fat adapted is they have, um, they end up having decreased blood ketones because of the increased utilization of the ketones as fuel. Mm-hmm. What's your experience there and how do you then change the tracking of the ketones as a measure of success of ketosis? Yeah, that's um, that's a good and often asked question. I mean, there's essentially three ways to measure ketones. One, one is with the those little urine test strips, and um, they're inexpensive. Uh, they're not actually measuring. Uh, let's sort of the end. There's three ketones that are produced uh, when you fat metabolize. Um, most of what's produced initially is acetoacetate, and then um, most of that, or, or some of that, will be converted into beta hydroxybutyrate, and that's variable in, amongst individuals. And then some of it is produced, uh, is, is changed to acetone, which is essentially nail polish remover. Um, and um, uh, and you produce small amounts of that too. So it depends what's being measured. So the ones that the, the test strips measure acetoacetate in the urine, um, and, and they're only really effective um, during that adaptation phase, just to see if you're actually producing ketones initially. And, and you know, they, they kind of turn a kind of a darker color. 
Uh, once you've fat adapted, you're going to be burning most of that acetoacetate or converting it to beta-hydroxybutyrate. So, so once you have fat adapted, it's, you can throw those away <laughs> or lend them to somebody else. Um, there's a second one which is uh, looks at the breath, and that, of course, is measuring the acetone because acetone is highly volatile when it comes out in the breath. And um, I know Don Diagostino has measured that compared to blood ketones and found them to be uh, pretty accurate. Um, but for our clinical studies, for sure, we measure blood ketones. Uh, that's the best way. And, and it's just like blood sugar stuff. You know, you have to have a certain amount of blood sugar. Even though you're burning it, you still need a certain um, a certain load there in, in the circulatory system. So, so essentially what you're doing on a ketogenic diet is you can lower um, the burden of glucose and you replace that with the ketones. So, so the measurement you get in the blood is a, is a fairly accurate measurement of how you're producing and using ketones. And our clinical measurements are typically between uh, 0.5 and about 2 millimoles uh, per milliliter. So that's that's just the the measurement for those biohackers out there. Um, And you can you can buy you know home test keto uh, keto tests. They're they're very much like the glucose test for diabetics, uh, except the strips are quite expensive. They're about two bucks each. So. Um, uh, that's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the best way to do it clinically. And if you have the finances, you can, you can do it, but you know, I don't even, once you're there, I don't really worry about measuring things. And, um, I don't know if you've talked about any show stuff, but some people can get really obsessed with these measurements, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they focus so much on that. So actually one of the things we try to emphasize in the bio diet is if you just follow the plan and, and you work with your nutrition counselor, um, you don't need to count calories. You don't need to count carbs. You don't need to measure anything. You can tell by the way you feel because you learn how to be mindful about your food and you learn how to listen to your body. And and um, so there's really um, I have a s- sort of a model that I've, I've I've presented in the book called the axis of illness, which is the three components that I think anybody uh, in medicine would agree underpin most chronic disease, and that's obesity. We know that contributes to about 70% of chronic disease. Um, Insulin resistance, um, which also contributes about 70% to chronic disease. And then inflammation, which, again, contributes to about 70% of chronic disease. So that's why I make a rough estimate that if, if you can avoid those things, you can reduce your risk of chronic disease by about 70%. And, you know, you can see obesity, right? You can stand in the mirror and look at yourself and see if you're overweight. Uh, it doesn't take too much um, measurement to, to figure that out. You don't see inflammation, but you feel inflammation. You feel this is chronic systemic inflammation, not the acute inflammation you get from a, a cut, you know, or, or a bee sting. But, um, and that you feel it as aches and pains generally. But, but just those aches and pains, that's not all that's going on. What's also happening is your blood vessels are becoming inflamed, and that leads to cardiovascular disease. And, and inflammation also contributes, and aggra- contributes to and aggravates uh, both diabetes and, and cancer. Um, so when you're getting those aches and pains in your bones, it's your other tissues that are also suffering. Um, and then how do you know you're insulin resistant? Well, probably the best way is, is in your brain, is you start feeling brain fog because the brain... Uh, it does need insulin. It doesn't need insulin to uptake glucose, but it does need it to operate properly. So, so the brain fog and the um, you know some of the mild cognitive impairment and so on that we get, uh, we think we should you know, normally get as you age. Uh, some of that's just due to insulin resistance. And there's other things, for instance, um, as I'm sure you're aware, like acne and uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. These things that are 
for women that are highly associated with insulin resistance um, are, are other, are other um, things you can pay attention to. So if you listen to your body, um, you don't need to do a whole lot of measurements. And once you've learned, it's really once you've learned the lifestyle uh, of a low-carb ketogenic diet. And we, we call these, by the way, um, the term we like to use, you, you asked about different types of ketogenic diets um, and how ours is different. This is a well-formulated ketogenic diet. That was a term that was coined by uh, Dr. Stephen Finney. And what that means is it, it's, a, it's um, designed to keep you in a state of nutritional ketosis between 0.5 and 2 millimoles um, without having to measure things and so on. Uh, but that's a state at which you, you have a sort of optimum level of ketones um, in your system and, and you can keep your uh, glucose and therefore your insulin moderated. Yeah, I'm with you. I think using the signals that your body gives you around satiety and appetite control and, you know, general um, health markers, how your cognitive function is, like I think there's so many things that we can tap into yet mm-hmm. ago when keto was, I guess, becoming really popular again, we also we also saw the obsession with um, whether it was urine, breath, or blood, and I tend to counsel my clients away from that um, because of the the inherent errors, but also from the obsessions where it can detract from the actual things that we're doing to create the health today and the, the and the longevity, of course, because it has some incredible longevity benefits. Yeah, we're even seeing, you know, at the um, epigenetic level, we're seeing changes in uh, telomere length and telomerase activity and so on. So that, again, part of a rejuvenating, rejuvenating effect. And yeah, I, you know, I think this is, you know, the book has the name bio diet in it. And, and um, for some people, when they hear diet, they think of these short term calorie restricted diets. And, and we know one of the things we know is they don't work and, and they probably make things worse. And so for anybody out there that's considering a ketogenic diet, what I would encourage them to consider is that this is not intended to be a short-term weight loss plan to help you, you know, fit into your bathing suit for the summer. This is something that you should consider as a lifestyle change that will put you on a path to optimal health that you should, that you should maintain. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I talked to lots of people that have said, oh, yeah, I've tried the keto diet. And, then, and I said, what do you mean you tried it? And I said, well, I tried it for a while, and then I, you know, I went back to eating the way I did, or, or it didn't work. Or, uh, and I said, well, what did you hear about? What did you learn about it? And it's usually you know, YouTube videos and things like that. So mm-hmm. it, it, you know, they need, people need, what you put in your mouth is so important. The, the um, Lancet in 2017 produced their uh, global burden of chronic disease and said that you know food is more important than in terms of contributing to to disease bad food in other words we're talking about uh more important than than uh, smoking than alcohol than sedentary behavior lack of exercise all combined so the most important thing for most people for your health is what's on the end of your fork and it's and and i think people are going to start to realize that and when they do they're going to turn to real food and, and look for other options, try and get away from all this processed food. Now, on the other side, Steph, as you know, there's a $7 trillion a year food industry that is not very happy about what you and I are telling people. I know. Uh, and and uh, I know you've mentioned that on a number of your shows, the big food issue. And, and uh, you know, they're very happy to try and discredit us. Um, so so that, somebody's got to fight the good fight out there. And, and I really feel at my point in my career, that's what I'd like to do is really focus on helping people understand what, what, um, what, a, what a real human diet is, what an ancestral human diet is, 
and how adopting that will help you uh, prevent disease and, and maintain optimal health. And then in the clinic, we're trying to show how it can actually be used to treat uh, some of the chronic disease that we see. So powerful. Like one of the things I always say is that the most important decision that you make is what you put on your plate. Mm-hmm. And we're really, really starting to understand the truth of that now, especially with the huge um, volumes of chronic disease that I believe to be largely avoidable. I want to go back to something you said before. You mentioned some of your clients say to you, Dave, it's like you pulled cotton wool out of my brain. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really incredible way that um, – allows us to think about what our old ways have done to our cognitive and to our mental health. And then Mm. we're also seeing this, what is now known as type 3 diabetes. So I want you to kind of connect the dots for us in terms of what the benefits of a ketogenic diet are for our brain and our cognitive function. Um, And then we can talk about, yeah, what is type 3 diabetes and why it's so prevalent in 2019. Sure. Yeah. Well, if if you start again with the the model I have, the axis of illness with um, obesity, inflammation, insulin resistance, um, we're really talking about the, um, and and those things, by the way, once they start, they make each other worse, right? It's like a vicious circle that makes each other worse till eventually it manifests as some kind of chronic disease. Um, You know, the most common ones are cancer, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, which are all metabolic. Um, So if we're looking at the brain, if we're looking at Alzheimer's, the brain, as I mentioned, there's different types of glucose transporters. They're, you know, glut. They're called glucose transporters. Um, the one in the brain that allows glucose to come into the brain, uh, the glucose has to be actively transported in. And those transporters, um, they, they're not required to get glucose into the brain in the same way as other cells. So, so the, the cells don't become insulin resistant on the outside. They become insulin resistant on the inside because insulin is important within those neurons in your brain to function properly. And um, I have a, a friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Stephen Kunain at the University of Sherbrooke, who's been studying this in, in quite a bit of detail. And I mentioned him because he likes, to, he likes to use the analogy of an automobile where you know, we're, we've been running these cars on gas forever and, and, you know, gas, as we know, is kind of polluting and, and, and it, you know, it, it has these effects even internally on the engine that require repairs and so on. Um, so think of that like your brain burning glucose, whereas the, the ketones that are produced, um, and your brain will always be burning some glucose, there's no doubt about that, but when you produce ketones, they, they just move into the cell of down their concentration gradient quite easily from the blood. And once they're in the cell, those neurons will selectively use those ketones. And the ketones have uh, a much lower burden of oxidative stress because they burn more efficiently. And, um, and it helps the, the brain optimize. So, so Stephen's shown that you can get about a 15% increase in, in brain function, uh, looking at functionality in terms of the uptake of fuel um, when you're keto-adapted. So think about what that might mean for your, for your brain. So that's from a health perspective. Now, on a disease perspective, um, it was uh, Suzanne de la Monte, I think, at Brown University that coined the term type 3 by diabetes, which is when the brain becomes insulin resistant in the same way as, as, um, uh, as other cells do. So, so the glucose is still getting in the cells, but uh, the insulin is required within the cells for normal function. It's kind of like, um, you know, again, with the car analogy, the glucose is the gas-powered car. So now you have this other optional fuel. You have this um, 
uh, electric power. And, and so our brains are actually hybrids. They, they, they can burn both, and they'll, but they like to burn um, the, the ketones first. When the ketones aren't present and there's too much glucose, then inside the cells they can become insulin resistant. So it's kind of like you don't need the insulin to get to unlock the door of the car, but you do need the insulin to get the fuel to run efficiently from the, from the gas tank to the engine. And, and, um, and when people become insulin resistant, they're not only, well, functionally, you, you feel the brain fog, you feel um, slower, there's even emotional problems because um, insulin is very important in the brain for mood. Insulin is very important in regulating our, our hunger and satiety states. Um, so all of these become confused. So we tend to eat too much um, and we tend to have, have mood disorders, uh, etc. And, you know, I can, I can say that because we, when we um, treat people with ketogenic diets, these things tend to resolve. Um, so that's the, the type 3 diabetes is essentially an insulin-resistant brain um, and I think that's why it's, it's been coined that term. So it, so it does have a metabolic issue. Now, when the brain becomes insulin-resistant, burning glucose, then you're developing a whole lot of oxidative stress, which develops a whole lot of inflammation. And we know that uh, Alzheimer's has a very um, big inflammatory component too, um, which causes even, even more damage. So, um, uh, and, and also think about this, that, that if you are type 2 diabetic, you're uh, much at much higher risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. And, and you know, Steph, here's the thing is we're, we call these things different diseases, but, but that's just our terms for them. The body doesn't know these terms. The body's just having problems with faulty glucose metabolism, and that faulty glucose metabolism affects the body at the not just at the cellular level, but at the subcellular level. The mitochondria, which are the energy converters in our cells, they get sick, and when they get sick, that's when you get diabetes. That's when you get Alzheimer's disease. That's when you get cancer. So, so really, I think the the very deep root benefit of a ketogenic diet is that these ketones help the mitochondrial health within our cells. And that keeps the whole thing running as efficiently and effectively as it can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, well, I'll ask you, <laughs> if Alzheimer's is a metabolic disease, what's the cure? You know what, I, get to that. I, I do know, I want to know what you think. So okay. uh, what, what do you think uh, if in terms of, I mean, uh, I, what I usually say to most people is what's the cure? I said the cure is not to get it in the first place. And mm-hmm. you know, in particular, that's what we say about cancer. The best way to, that's the way to treat cancer is don't get it in the first place. Yeah. Do what you can to avoid it. And that sounds simple, but it's actually a little more challenging. So, so, so what do you think about it, Steph? Well, that's a very good point because I don't know how reversible it is. Like obviously we've seen examples of like anecdotal examples of people who have significantly reduced their symptoms, but you're right. It's, it's different. Like what is the prevention of Alzheimer's? I believe real food, LCHF, ketogenic, call it what you like. So that I think is the answer to stop yourself from getting type 3 diabetes or Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's part of the cure but I guess that depends on how much degeneration there is. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the problem is nerve cells don't reproduce. Exactly. So, so once they're damaged, the damage is done. That's why we have to be very, very careful about this. You know, you can rebuild muscle cells and liver tissue and even some heart tissue, but once damage is done to nerve cells, the damage is, is, is permanent. So, so, exactly. what, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Is, is uh, there's, there's three simple things to good health. 
uh, is, is sleep, exercise, and diet. And so, you know, you've talked about the dietary things, make sure you're getting good rest and sleep, and that, that also includes managing your stress. And then get some regular exercise, and, and those are the three best things to do to prevent it. Uh, once you have it, again, looking at um, Dr. Kunain's studies, uh, what he's using is exogenous ketones. Mm-hmm. So this is the ketones that you, in fact, they use MCT oil, which is um, which is from coconut oil, medium chain triglyceride oils. Uh, they're using about um, 30, uh, 30 grams a day, which is two tablespoons, um, with both patient with, with they have a control, they have people with um, mild cognitive impairment, um, and then uh, those with Alzheimer's disease. And what they're measuring, this is over six months, and they, they, all they're doing is giving them two tablespoons of, um, uh, of MCT oil a day. And that, that converts because it's mostly the, the C8 version, um, which is the one that converts, C8 means eight carbons, right? Converts in the liver directly to ketones. So it, so it delivers ketones essentially to the system, which can be delivered to the brain. And, uh, and his, his work is very exciting, seeing um, really significant improvements in brain function uh, simply by adding exogenous ketones. And, and, um, uh, and, and he's, he's using really sophisticated like MRIs as well to look at the brain function. So he's looking at it in real time. So pretty exciting there. And, and of course, you know, the best thing is to produce your own ketones, which will keep your brain as healthy as possible as, as, as well as functioning as, as best it can. Yes, absolutely. I think the research around that is incredible. I mean, 30 grams a day is, is very reasonable as long as you don't consume it all at once. Um, yeah, we should. We should. I know. <laughs> like about that. You don't want to start doing that right off the bat because some yeah. people have a really quite dramatic, um, how should we say it, digestive response to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to MCT oil. You'll be running to the toilet. So start at yeah. about a teaspoon. <laughs> That's what I say too. Start about a teaspoon a day and, and work your way up to about uh, – after that, you know, they, they've worked with lots of people. They say that's, the, that's a pretty – good um daily amount for people more than that you know some people can tolerate it more um uh, i'm not sure if there's any additional benefit or not we haven't really looked at that but that's the that's the sort of clinical clinical amount that they're using and which is you know it, it's it's very easy to mix into drinks and smoothies and you know it's tasteless anyway so you can just have a tablespoonful but please yeah just start with a teaspoonful and see how that goes and if you do have a reaction your body will normally adapt to it uh, over time Absolutely. Yeah. So much more that we'll learn from research that's currently occurring. Like you would probably be across the research around ketones and TBI. So traumatic brain injury and, and yeah. how we're using MCT to, to treat TBIs. And I think, you know, not dissimilar in the Alzheimer's space and cognitive impairment, we're really understanding what fuel our brain needs and, and how we can optimize that through, you know, nutrition first and foremost, but mm-hmm. what supplements can be really helpful as well. So such yeah, an exciting a, space. Yeah, there's a fellow here, I'll, uh, a little shout out to uh, another colleague here in town, uh, Wolf, Wolf Tetzlaff. He's been working on uh, the effects of ketones on, on, on brain and spinal cord injury and spinal cord recovery, uh, as well as traumatic brain injury. And, and uh, yeah, also very exciting very exciting stuff there. Um, it does seem to have some benefit both in prevention um, and in uh, recovery, but um, just in short, it seems like if you're keto adapted before you have a brain injury, you're at much uh, better. You're in a much better place for for full recovery. Mm, 
Yeah. Incredible. Quite incredible. But yeah, I've just loved, I could actually speak to you all day. <laughs> Likewise. Topic. But um, before we do wrap up this, this today, I would love you to share just more about your online home, where people can learn more about you. And of course, how they can get their hands on a copy of BioDiet. Sure. Um, well, BioDiet right now is available in North America. Um, we uh, it, it, hopefully it will be available uh, uh, throughout the world. It, you know, you can you can order it from Amazon.com um, uh, or anywhere in North America if, if you're not there. Um, and uh, we our website is is BioDiet.org. So BioDiet all one word org. And there you can we actually have um, the introduction to the book, and we've got all the diagrams and tables you can you can have, and we've got some poll quotes uh, as well as. Um, some other information, what I did with the book stuff was to, you know, you buy a lot of these books and that, you know, a third of the book is references that nobody ever looks at. And I just thought in this day and age, we don't, we don't need to put those in the books we're selling to people because then you have to print the paper and that cost adds to the cost of the book. So to keep the cost down, to get the book, um, make it available to as many people as possible, he said, well, let's just put all the references online and then they can just go look at, look there if they want to. So, so biodiet.org, our, our uh, hashtag for social media is, um, is hashtag biodietbook. And on Facebook, just biodiet will, will, uh, will send you to us as well. And, and, and um, my email is uh, david at biodiet.org and my wife is dale at biodiet.org or info. Uh, and if you have any questions, uh, fire us a, a, an email and be happy to get back to you on that. And uh, hopefully I'll be traveling around. If I get to Australia, I'd love to come and, and meet you in person and, and hopefully um, do some work. There's, there's a chance I'll be working with some folks at uh, University of Adelaide. Um, and I know you guys have the uh, uh, low carb down under usually is in Melbourne every year, is it not? Absolutely. You'll have to come yeah. to that. You must organize your tour around those dates. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. I, I, I really love Australia. It's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic place and it's just so much more adventure there for me to, to explore. I was only there for about two or three weeks um, and I have family there. So uh, looking forward to getting back and meeting you. And, and uh, yeah, if people um, uh, do pick up a copy of the book, uh, it'd be great if you could provide um, some reviews for us. That's, that always helps to have that feedback. Uh, or just send us a, a note to biodiet.org. That'd be great. Incredible. We'll pop all those details in the show notes. Thank you again for all your knowledge. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's been great talking to you, Steph. And, uh, and uh, I would like to wish everybody health and happiness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.